Morning Church Project. Project Kids, good morning. Have fun heading back over there. Bye-bye, ta-ta, yeah, fist it, there you go. Hey, we're uh, so privileged to be with you today. Uh, it's spring break. It's nice outside. Everyone showed up today. And uh, Grandpa spoke two weeks ago, so I thought after Grandpa spoke, no one was going to come back to hear me. So I'm glad that you're here today. Um, I do want to just welcome you to Church Project. If you're a first-time guest, we're glad that you're here. For every one of us um, sitting in our chair are a couple things. One is a response card and prayer card. And I'm not sure about you, but um, maybe I should be writing you prayer requests for my life. I mean, every one of us have prayer requests. And so if there's something that we can join and pray with you for or about in your life, please just write that down and, and put it in our offering box, the black box on your way out, that little tiny one. Um, because we want to do this life together and we want to share it together. So um, there's that. Also, if you're not getting our emails every week, then put your email down on there and we'll be sending you emails. And by the way, if, if you're a, a, a Gmail user, it might go to junk mail. You'll have to figure out how to set the settings. So open up your version app right now if you have it. And then on the version app, there's a link how to fix that. And you can follow along with our notes as well. And that's courtesy of Aaron Hoyt. The technology wizard. Thank you, Aaron. Well, Church Project, we're a church. We're a gathering of people that love Jesus, and we love the mission of Jesus in this world. Um, and we want to live that out, and we want to do that together. We're also a project. We're an ongoing pursuit. So raise your hand if you're an ongoing pursuit, like you're an ongoing project. You don't quite have it figured out. So if you like church, you like Jesus, you like God's people, and you like trying to figure this out together, I feel like Church Project's going to be a pretty fun place for you. Uh, you're amongst people that love you and, and think of life the same way as you do, so we're glad that you're here today. Uh, I want to talk about a couple things before we get into the message. Uh, you can open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12, verse 20, and we're going to finish out Acts chapter 12. And so go ahead and open your Bibles to that. But a couple things I want to talk about is, one, when you sit down, there's an Easter church project business card. Now, we don't do this often. In fact, I think we only do this really once, maybe twice a year. Uh, here's what I know about Church Project. The model that we chose to do, our, our, the way that we've set up Church Project is there's not huge television advertisements or flyers that we put out throughout the city. Um, there's really no advertising we do at Church Project. We believe this, that together the word of mouth, like when God is rip, gripping our heart and gripping our mind, we're going to love it. And if, and if we call Church Project home, then we're going we're gonna to be amongst people that we love to be with and we want to invite others into this journey. The problem is this, though. We also don't want to have a country club, a Christian country club, where we just show up, everyone looks the same, talks the same, super comfortable, we just kind of grow together. I mean, that's not bad, right? That's not bad. But it is bad if we have the answer called the gospel, and it's changed our life, and we're not telling the world about it. If we just show up to our Christian country club called Church Project, and we have a great experience, and we go to our house churches, and we have a great experience, and we serve the world, and we have a great experience, but we never once tell someone else about the love of Christ, are we really fulfilling the commission to go into the whole world and make disciples? So we've really made this very simple for you for this Easter. On your chair are two simple cards. Hand them out to your neighbors and your friends. There's two. There's a whole bunch more back there if you would like to. 
I, mean, I think it would be really cool if we could all commit in this room. We're going to invite someone that scares the pee out of us. Like I can think, Jay's on my block. I can think of a couple on our block that I'm going to invite, and I'm nervous to walk over there. You're one of them. So <laughs> I think we need to get out of our comfort zones a little bit. The only way people will even know that Church Project is meeting is by word of mouth. And this is one of those times where church, I want to challenge every one of us in this room to hand out those two cards to someone that you know in your life, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody that needs to hear the love of God. So we've made it really easy. We'll have Easter. How about that? We'll do Easter. We'll tell people about the love of God. Why don't you invite it? Why don't we pack this out for Easter? So enough there. Um, I want to jump into this because I think the message that we have today is really simple. And so uh, if you would, read along Acts chapter 12. We're going to read verses 20 through 25. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastos, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of God, not of man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. And in verse 25, then Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission. They returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. I can say with confidence, because I've done it over 20 years now, well, just at 20 years, that my vocation of being a pastor, my job of being a pastor, I have experienced egotistical pride, and I've witnessed great leaders, other pastors, brought down, low, humbled, in big exuberant ways and sometimes small ways. When people come to you for advice and counsel, as often happens as a pastor, and then it doesn't take long till you stop relying on God for insight and instruction. And I can tell you, eight out of ten coffee meetings that I'm going to have throughout the week, they are kind of on repeat And I can kind of predict with fair accuracy the entire content of that conversation because I've done it for 20 years. And when you, as a pastor, can, with your vocation, have so much experience and people are coming to you for advice often and you can predict where eight out of ten conversations are going to end up going, then it doesn't take long till you think your poop doesn't stink and you've got this thing figured out. Here's where most conversations will end up. I'll ask a question. I'll say, are you trying to be God? Whatever they're saying. Are you trying to be God? Another thing I might say is, who are you doing life with? That's a big one, actually. 
A lot of people are separated. They think they can figure out life on their own. They think they can figure out their marriage on their own, whatever it may be. That's another thing that I might say out of my eight out of ten conversations, right? Um, here's a good one. Are you serving your spouse? I mean, I can almost tell you, it's spouses that are fighting a marriage that's struggling. It's always, usually, I won't say always, eight out of ten times, it's going to be, they don't do this, they don't do this, they don't do, they bug, they, 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 they. And, man, I can tell you, are you serving your spouse? Another, another honest one in these conversations that I can kind of predict that I've had over 20 years is, do you tithe? Seriously, do you tithe? I mean, yeah, the church, we rely on your tithe. This is how we operate. This is how we groove. But it's not because we said this is how we operate and this is how we groove. Like, it's a biblical heart thing that we see when we read. Like, man, people that don't tithe, oftentimes a whole lot of slew things come behind that because they've put their treasure where it doesn't belong. And they think that what they have is theirs. They're not generous. And the Bible talks often about people that are not generous. So that's another thing I talk about. And then the two last things out of these eight out of ten predictive conversations that I've had over 20 years over coffee are these. What has God said about this? And what is God saying about this? The thing that you're going through, this hard thing that I'm with you. I'm sorry your marriage is struggling. I'm sorry you have these addictions. I'm sorry they did this to you. I'm sorry, whatever it may be. Like, I do have empathy. The end of the day, my empathy is human. At the end of the day, the only thing that's going to stand is God and his word. And so I would do you a huge disservice as I predict these conversations to give you my wise wisdom that I've learned over 20 years. The best that I can do is say, what has God said to you in this? Drive you back to God's word because that's the authority. So why do I start with this and I talk about how arrogant I can be as a pastor, how I can predict these conversations because I guarantee this, in your vocations, you do the same. In the things that you think you're, you're experienced at, you're the best at, you do the same. Like, we, we teach our sports th- people this. Like, we went and watched basketball two weeks ago, state championships. It was awesome. And any good coach will teach someone to have muscle memory to shoot the same every time. But if you stop practicing that way every time, your muscle memory gets bad. You have to stay in the game, and you have to keep going for it. You just don't put it on auto cruise control. Because I guarantee you, the first coffee meeting I ever had with a couple that was struggling... I went in trembling. I don't know what to say. What am I going to say? And over time, we can kind of predict what we're going to say, and we can get lazy. We can get proud. So when we think we are bringing sexy back, when we think our poop doesn't stink, when we rely more on our education and experience than on God? When we think we are the bomb. I could have fun with this. Shizniz, whatever. When we wear pride like our favorite pair of shoes, our downfall is soon to be lived. Hear this, church. Pride is the road, is the road that leads to destruction. 
That's a Bible verse, actually. Pride is the road that leads to destruction. And I'll add this. Vanity is the speeding vehicle that'll take us to our grave. The moment we think we've got it all figured out is the moment we may have begun our downfall. Why do I say that? I look at these verses, and if you would, look at these verses with me. Herod, in verse 19 and 20. Then Herod went to Judea of Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of of Blastos, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. So in 19 and 20, what do we see in these verses right here? We see Herod was in a position of power, and the people needed him. They were coming to him for their food supply. Like he had power. They knew that they needed him. And who else knew that they needed him? Herod. Herod knew that he needed him. He was at the top of the food chain. Let's go to verse 21, 22. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat at his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of God, not of man. Verse 21 and 22. There's some extra biblical writing um, called the Jewish Iniquities. And and when you compare it to this story right here, it's historical stuff that you read. And when you compare it to this story right here, it really backs up what Luke is saying. Now let me me read what what, uh, Josephus says in in the Jewish Iniquities about this. Josephus reports in this thing right here that clad in a garment, Woven, woven completely of silver, so that its texture was indeed wondrous. He entered the theater at daybreak. There was silver, illuminated by the torch of the first rays of the sun, was wondrously radiant, and by its glitter inspired fear and awe in those who gazed upon, upon it. And so, The Jewish Iniquities writes about this story, and Luke is writing about this story. And Herod, who knows that the people need him, he comes out, and it's the first daybreak, and the sun is shining on everything, all he's dressed up in, and it's reflecting, and the people are looking at him in awe. It's It's only a matter of time when people need us before we form a savior complex. And I and I wonder as Herod. He knows that people already need him. They're coming to him. They're wanting him. And then he comes out dressed in all his royal garb, and the sun is shining, and the people are about to yell to him. I wonder if already, before they even said what they're about to say about him, if he's come out like, look at me, and I have a savior complex. I'm the answer to your problems. I have what you need, and now look at me. I'm even dressed better than you. And he comes out. Then we get to verse, where are we at? 21, 22, we're at verse 23. Get to verse 23. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. (laughs) Sounds like a kid's book. Oh, yeah. Never I'm about to derail. Back to notes, back to notes. Again, when you look at extra biblical writing about this account, it really does back up what Luke is saying right here and gives us a little different context. 
So it literally didn't mean that at this moment when they said, you're God, and he didn't deny it, he fell down and died in that moment. What, what is written about in this experience is he experienced pain in the heart and stomach. And by the way, I'm reading from William J. Larkin. He's a commentarian that writes about this. So when I butcher these words, you medical people, don't slay me, okay? So in verse 23 about Herod, what William Larkin says about it is he experiences pain in the heart and stomach. Peritonitis, peritonis, peritonitis. Thank you. You should come read this. Peritonitis from from a perforated, perforated appendix. I practiced reading those words. Think if I wouldn't have read them. I should have. Okay. This is what's happening to him. Would you concur, medical people? Combined with intestinal roundworms. That sounds terrible. Ten to six inches long. Very, very painful. They write about. And he lasts five days until he dies. And this is the extra biblical account that supports what Luke is writing about this and what's happening to him, Herod, medically. So I imagine as Luke is writing about it that when, when Herod did not immediately rebuke someone for calling him God, that the pain became so severe that he lasted five days and then died because of all that medical stuff. The man that was radiant and glorious on the outside was being eaten up and dying on the inside. Can any of you relate to that? Radiant and glorious on the outside, yet being eaten up on the inside. His poop didn't stink. Let's go to verse 24. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. So worms spread and killed Herod's body in a very painful, nasty way. And we see at the same time, and Luke writes about, and God makes sure that we want to know right here that the word of God continues to spread. Worms spread and killed the man full of pride and vanity, and the word of God spread to people who needed it. So only four years into the top of his game, Herod runs dry. Only four years into the top of his game, he runs dry. Every fine delicacy, every sweet, sweet, pimped out chariot that he owned, you know how he went and polished up the rims? All the fine clothings fall short. And what he found his comfort in and what he put his hope in ultimately provides and proves to be false security, a false hope. At the top of his game, he ends up being destroyed by all the stuff that he found his hope and his meaning in. What a waste of a position. Just think what kind of story would be told if Jared, or if, not Jared, sorry, Jared's in the room. If Herod, <laughs> my bad, don't beat me up. Uh, what would happen if Herod in this moment was like, oh, don't call me a God. There's only one God. He didn't know God, and so he can't say this, so we don't know the story. All we know is he gets eaten by, uh, by worms and dies a terrible death. 
What kind of story would it be at the height of his game with all the power that he had, with people needing him, if he fell in love with God and started serving others and not himself? Like It could have been a completely different rewrite on history here. The end of this section of Acts right here in verse 12 is where the mission of, uh, is, the, is the first part of it was the, the mission to the Jewish world. The next section we're going to get into next week, starting in, in uh, chapter 13, begins the, the great missionary journeys of Paul. And we're going to watch this message, this glorious message, just spread all the way to Greeley, Colorado in the second half of um, chapter of Acts. And so when I look at this story right here and I look at the pride, I look at the vanity of Herod and I look what happened to him and I looked at the word was still spreading regardless of all the things that were happening. It reminds me of Luke chapter 9 verses 43 and 44. And this speeds it up and puts it all the way in the New Testament. So if you want to say that was Old Testament back then and there, let's jump into the New Testament and let's just show you how real this is to you and me. Like we are Herod. If you don't believe it, Let's look at the apostles. Acts chapter 9, verse 43 through 44. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, this is Jesus, talking to his disciples, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. So he said this profound thing, and they didn't understand it, and they didn't ask him about it. What did they do instead? In verse 46, an argument started amongst the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. What? God, what are you, what are you mic dropping on me that I don't understand? Forget it. Hey, guys, I'm better than you. My poop don't stink. That's, that's, I should have titled that message today, huh, Bill? So Jesus, knowing their thoughts, looked at a little child who had um, that a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, "Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest." So, church, I want to ask you this question: Is your legacy more about you or about God and others? Is your legacy more about you or about God and others? I hope that our life mirrors the life of Jesus. And in the life of Jesus, in Luke chapter 22, just a few chapters later, this is what we see in the life of Jesus. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to be crucified. He knows this charge in front of him. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Jesus is praying to God and says this, Father, if you are willing... Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. This is Jesus. He has the power to change the world. Herod had the power to do incredible things, and yet he came out shining like a god and took all credit, and worms ate him up. We see the disciples. They're sitting with the most powerful man in the universe, God Almighty. They don't even understand what they're saying, so they start talking about who's the best amongst themselves. And yet we see God himself in a moment where history is going to be made. He can either stand up and do the right thing and, and serve the world, or he can run and hide from the calling that God's given him. 
But what does he do? He prays, Father, your will be done, not mine. So church, I'm looking at powerful men and women in this room that have tons of experience, tons of education, that will go 150 places more than I will this week, because that's about how many we have at Church Project. And every second of every day, you're going to be living a life more than I am. And every second of every day, you're going to use all your experiences, all your talents, everything that God has had and given you to tell others and to leave a legacy. And so what is your legacy going to be? Is it going to be that you looked good on the outside, but on the inside you were being eaten by worms? Is your legacy going to be about you, or is it going to be about others and about God? One of the cool things, if you were here two weeks ago um, when Grandpa spoke, and, and a, co- a few people have told me this, Grandpa, and I didn't tell you this, but a few people through, from two weeks ago till now have, have pulled me aside and said, you know one of the things I loved about when Grandpa was speaking? He's 92. He's old. He's closer to death than he is birth. <laughs> so what's on his mind more, earth or heaven? And at 92, I imagine heaven is more on your mind than earth. And it's amazing that the message that you give points us to the love message. And it was very simple, and it was a gospel message, and heaven's on your mind. And heaven should be on all of our minds, because we're passing through this temporary place called earth. Don't get so convoluted in the mixings of today that we forget this is not our home. Because at 92, this message is going to be super simple. It's not very complicated. So what kind of legacy church are you leaving? I want to pray for us. God, thank you for today. God, I pray that we can just sit in this. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us in the places that we need to change our lives. And God, I also pray that you would massage our hearts and massage our minds. Let us know who we are in you. Let us know that whatever we're going through, God, you've already gone through it. You're there for us. You're battling for us. So however you want this message to land on our hearts and minds and to affect our tomorrow morning, God, I pray today, right now in this place, you make it real to us. Some of us, we may need to change the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about you. Some of us, we may need to remove ourselves from the throne and put you on the throne. For some of us, we may need to stop living for ourselves in the temporary pleasures and comfort of today and fully surrender our life to you and to serving others, loving others. And God, I pray over all of us that as Jesus went and prayed to you in the most pivotal moment in his life, about to go on the cross, he prays to you and says, God, your will be done, not mine. And God, I pray for all of us in this room that your will be done, not ours. That no matter how hard it is, no matter how exciting it is, God, we would continue to give our life to you and say your will, not mine. 
And God, I pray over this room that you would put a fire under us, put a burning in our bellies to tell the people of Greeley about this love message, that we would live it, walk it, talk it, we would be bold about it. Because we know that pride and vanity leads to death. But loving you and loving others, that's a whole other story. God, may that be the legacy we live. And thank you for our life today. And thank you for loving us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand and let's continue worshiping God in this place. <laughs>